0: Hi, I'm Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. 201, that's where Kevin McCarthy's vote count stands, falling 17 votes short from winning the gavel to become Speaker of the House. Democrats continuing to criticize this historic battle as a slowdown of the American people's business. Meanwhile, others calling the process a healthy form of democracy. There was a new nomination today and one vote for former President Trump. Here's Entity's Melina Wisecup with more from Capitol Hill. So, Melina, where are we uh, as things stand right now and how's it looking um, moving forward?
1: So here's where we're at right now for the first time since the 1800s, Congress had to enter a 10th round of voting when electing House Speaker. It's looking like McCarthy has not gained any support, but he hasn't lost any support either. So we're really sitting at a stalemate McCarthy's sitting at around 200 votes and there's still those 20 defectors that are uh, unwilling to vote for McCarthy right now. Um, So at one point you had today you had three Republican nominees and one Democrat nominee. Republicans have um, continued to vote for Byron Donalds. He's been one of the nominees, but he's also lost some support, but that's because they've nominated another member of the House Freedom Caucus, which is Representative Kevin Hearn. Um, So it's interesting also to look at the uh, differences of opinion within the House Freedom Caucus itself, because the majority of the people who are opposing McCarthy right now are from the House Freedom Caucus. But then you had uh, Representative Troy Niels, who's also a member of the Freedom Caucus, standing up today and not nominating McCarthy. Um, but here's what those uh, opposing votes who are still unwilling to um, move in McCarthy's direction are saying about the reason why they're continuing this delay. I love the
2: conversations that are going on on the floor, in the cloakroom, in the halls. There's nothing extreme. There's nothing unreasonable. We're trying to get this right. As my conservative colleagues and I have stated time and time again, Congress is broken and fundamentally needs
1: change. And as for how those negotiations are going, well, Representative Scott Perry, who's been one of those leading voices in opposing McCarthy, says there's no deal whatsoever. Also, he expressed frustration about whatever internal negotiations they are having being leaked out to the press, pointing to some trust issues here. But he says he would rather this process take a couple of days and get it right rather than them to continue with the status quo. But this delay has given Democrats room to criticize Republicans' ability to govern. Here's Democrat leader Hakeem Jeffries um, today commenting on this issue, and Democrats have been united behind Jeffries all three days.
3: It's time for the Republicans to get their act together. And we as Democrats are ready, willing, and able to partner with them to find common ground whenever and wherever possible. Not as Democrats, not as Republicans, as Americans. It's time for Congress to get to work.
1: And this first quarter is critical. That's according to Representative Mike Gallagher, who will chair the Select Committee on China. Um, He told me today that he's now having to revise those plans that he made and prepare to work overtime to make up for this lost time. But he pushes back against the argument that this internal deliberation is bad in general or makes America look bad on the global stage. Here's Gallagher.
0: You know, we make our mistakes out in the open for the whole world to see. That, that's, a, that's a strength of America, not, not a weakness. And in contrast to the Chinese Communist Party, for example, where you have a small group of people, uh, now just one person, effectively, making all the decisions behind closed doors and imposing it on the people, it's a people's house. We do it from the bottom up.
1: So, as this process continues to play out, it is modern history in the making, since this is the first time that Congress has had to go past the ninth ballot when electing House Speaker. Steve, back to you.
0: Melina, thank you. Earlier today, Melina also had a chance to speak with a few members of Congress while at the Hill. Uh, Here's one of her exchanges with Congresswoman Kat Kamick.
1: I just wanted to ask about your response to Chip Roy's argument he's made a couple of times that the process is broken, there's not debate, and that's kind of at least his goal here is to revive that spirit. What do you say to him? I agree with Chip wholeheartedly. In fact, Chip
2: and I had this conversation on the House floor yesterday. I came here because this process is broken and we have to fix it, but we are going to see people who are going to put their personal agendas, their personal vendettas, again, above the needs of the country, and that's not productive. Chip and I agree that the rules package had to change, and we have been working to change it. I think things like having time to read the bills, single issue bills, getting a vote on the floor for a balanced budget amendment, term limit votes. These are things that we should all want. And that's what I'm supportive of. I think Chip has been 100 percent operating in good faith,
1: and I support him. And, you know, uh, yesterday our host, Steve Lance, interviewed Bob Good, which has been obviously a leading voice in opposing McCarthy. His argument was sort of that um, McCarthy's track record, particularly on f- spending, hasn't been uh, so fiscally conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say that their demands right now are sound? Or that argument is sound? Well, that's the thing. If you continue to move the the goalpost, then people aren't going to be
2: able to really understand what your motivation is. Um, Two years ago, Bob Good supported Kevin McCarthy without hesitation. And so I'm not sure if his argument that the spending that has occurred under Speaker Pelosi has been the problem, which if that's the case, he needs to take that up with Speaker Pelosi. But I think the people, like I said, that are at the table willing to negotiate to make these changes that make us better, more accountable, helping drain the swamp. These are the things that we as conservatives want and we're gonna continue to push for. But the people that have removed themselves from the negotiating table, Mm -hmm. those are the ones that we have to question. Are you actually doing this because you have a personal vendetta or
1: not? So when you say, just to clarify, when you say people have removed themselves from the negotiating Mm -hmm. table, are those the 20, mem- like all those 20 members or no. just some of them? No, no, there's sp- there's several
2: that are at the table as we speak, continuing to work through some of these nuanced issues. Um, there is a handful of people um, that have said, it doesn't matter what, what concessions are made, what wins we get, we will never support Kevin McCarthy. That's not helpful. And that's not putting the country first. And as an America first candidate, I think we need to be putting America first and doing what's best for the people. And so I think there's a very, very small group of people that are saying it's never going to be kevin and i don't care what happens as a result and then there are conservatives saying you know what let's figure out a way to move forward people like chip roy people like jim jordan like byron donalds these are people who are operating in good faith i do think that we will actually be better for this on the other side of it it's just a little bit of a messy process right now
0: the abortion debate is still ongoing with the fda now making an abortion pill accessible at brick and mortar pharmacies Supreme Court Dobbs' decision means that this rule change does not overrule any existing state laws, and it's still up to the states to decide how to implement it. To discuss the impact of this latest rule change, we're happy to have on with us Sue Liebel, Director of State Affairs at Susan B. Anthony List. Sue Liebel, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you for having me.
0: Sue, why do you think the FDA decided to expand access to a drug that induces abortion and allows uh, brick-and-mortar pharmacies to dispense this drug? I believe it's called Mifepristone.
4: Yes, uh, I believe the FDA did this. Honestly, it did, not, it did not do this in relationship with any sort of health or safety information for women. This is the tragic uh, part of this. That mainstream medical research shows how dangerous these pills can be. Um, in fact, much more dangerous than a surgical abortion. However, I think they did it because there's a lot of money on the table. I think they are, their ideology is um, pro-abortion. This is an abortion-oriented White House and administration. And this was this will pad the pockets of their friends in the abortion industry.
0: Now, how easy will it be to actually obtain this pill? Are there any restrictions built in?
4: Well, unfortunately, they relaxed some of the restrictions that they've had since they first uh, approved it in the year 2000. And The most important of those restrictions that they relaxed, they took, took away, is that a woman would need an in-person exam with a doctor uh, to rule out pre-existing conditions. There are certain uh, conditions, uh, kidney issues, uh, certainly ectopic pregnancy, uh, where these pills could theoretically kill her. Um, It is that, I'm not trying to exaggerate, it's that dangerous. Um, Women have reported uh, over and over again the severity of their complications. And we know that their complications are more than four times greater than, than a surgical abortion. So the FDA has, in fact, there's a lawsuit right now that the FDA had ignored some of that main medical research when it approved the drugs. Um, And we think that will bear out in the end. Unfortunately, I don't see this playing out well, but um, there's more to come on this issue.
0: Now with uh, so much hitting us in the news cycle, it may seem like ancient history, but it's actually not with uh, Roe versus Wade being overturned by the Supreme Court not too long ago kicking uh, the issue of abortion back to the states. Uh, I'd like to get your thoughts and, and and try to find out what about the states that currently limit abortions? How will they be handling this, uh, this abortion pill?
4: That's a great question. Um, even states that have limited abortion greatly, uh, well, frankly, even blue states where abortion is on demand, they still need States still need to require that in-person exam. The FDA didn't say you couldn't do it; they just took away the requirement. So, all states, red or blue, need to uh, institute at the state level a requirement for an in-person uh, medical exam to rule out um, pre-existing condition contraindications for those drugs. Also, states need all states should begin instituting reporting of complications in emergency rooms. So when doctors in ERs or um, med checks or places like that are seeing uh, complications, more and more women are flooding into these emergency facilities to get care. We need to track that like we would any other public health uh, menace and understand the trends, uh, the statistics behind this, uh, this new uh, public health threat.
0: Now, before I let you go, Sue, a Trump-appointed judge as early as next month will decide whether to grant a request to temporarily freeze the FDA's uh, approval of this Mifepristone, uh, which could end nationwide access to the drug. Where do you see this uh, going?
4: I certainly hope that's true. Um, it, the, the FDA needs to be uh, contained. It needs to be stopped in this all-out quest to get abortion on demand into a woman's, you know, the, the post office um, or even the workplace now can become an abortion clinic. Um, it's it's um, unconscionable from, from the medical research that I've seen and the, um, the statistics that we're trying to promote. So I, I, de- I do hope that there's an injunction long enough to get those medical facts on the table for example, the FDA did not do medical testing or did not require medical testing on these drugs for minors, for women whose maybe bodies aren't fully developed. Um, there, None of that was taken into account before the drugs were approved. So obviously college campuses and high schools are unfortunately an advertising boon for the abortion industry. So this needs to be reined in and quickly.
0: Sue Liebel, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you very much.
0: The latest installment of Twitter files that's been released by Elon Musk highlighting the closely coordinated relationship between Twitter and federal agencies like the NSA, as well as direct communication with federal lawmakers. Next, joining us to discuss, we have the president for the Institute of Free Speech, David Keating. David Keating, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. David, the uh, Twitter files. so much has been discovered or exposed. Um, It's really hard to keep track with so little media coverage. Um, It's also hard to feel the gravity, since the media has such an effect on establishing what's newsworthy. Uh, What would you say is the biggest bombshell to come out of this so far?
3: Well, I think the biggest bombshell so far is how much influence the government has had on Twitter's moderation practices especially the intelligence agencies. And this is one of the more recent relevations. And of course, we don't know what, uh, what is still to come. Obviously, there's a huge amount of material uh, that they have access to. And uh, I think we may see uh, some other revel- revel- revelations in the future.
0: And to your point, the government, uh, in response to the, the Twitter files, uh, has said that this is consistent uh, with the way that they've always conducted business. Do you buy that? And how far will that actually get them?
3: Well, if it is consistent, that's a, a frightening admission, because I don't think the government should have that much influence over what we see, especially in such a secretive manner. Um, so I think anyone who's gone through these all of these threads, which which I've done, it's really quite astonishing, not only the intelligence agencies, the FBI. Uh, the State Department. And it's bipartisan. It's not just uh, the Democrats. It's not just the Republicans. Both parties have been trying to push these platforms into hosting speech that they like and getting rid of speech they don't.
0: What do you think is the, the solution here to, to get the government out of uh, you know big tech?
3: Well, I don't think there's any easy answers here, but I certainly think um, uh, you know, some sort of disclosure of when elected officials are, or public officials are contacting agencies, um, contacting Twitter and other social media platforms, uh, trying to push content out, off the platforms. Now, maybe if there's a direct national security tie, uh, there may be a case for such action. But even there, uh, you know, if you look at what was discovered, the, the The rationale was pretty thin, and uh, what was very disturbing how there was a whole sort of network effect. Uh, You had the agencies pushing the platforms, then you had the agencies and other private uh, institutions, some nonprofit organizations, and then you had the media all sort of colluding in a giant pressure campaign to get the platforms to censor certain uh, views they didn't like.
0: I, now, I guess when you have these, these large government agencies that many of them fall under the umbrella of the Department of Justice, and you, and you have the government involved to this extent, one might ask, who can you really look to to hold them accountable and to really ensure justice?
3: Well, I mean, ultimately, it comes down to our, our system of democracy. We have to elect our representatives in Congress who are going to push back on this type of censorship. Uh, hold oversight hearings on government agencies. In fact, I think Congress should look at ethics rules as well. Uh, I don't think it's an ethical practice for members of Congress to be threatening these platforms with retribution, with legislation, unless they crack to it and censor uh, the way the elected officials in Congress want. And clearly there was a lot of that going on.
0: David, lastly, before we let you go, why do you think we have seen such little discussion and coverage from uh, of this from traditional media outlets?
3: Well, I think that's quite clear. Uh, the traditional media outlets were working in cooperation uh, with some of the government agencies, the outside actors, putting pressure on the platforms to censor, and this news coverage. Uh, that put the platforms in a bad uh, public relations light was, I think, quite influential in getting the platforms to censor. So, you know, it's not surprising that they wouldn't be that interested in covering that part of the story, because some of the the news outlets, in fact, uh, were essential to the censorship uh, pressures that were brought to bear on the platforms.
0: David Keating, really appreciate you joining us.